scripture reading for the lesson today is going to be Matthew 43, 5, 43 through 48. <clears throat> you have heard it that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. But most of Jesus' questions were not asked to learn something he didn't already know. His questions were usually asked to teach us something we need to know. What can we learn from questions Jesus asked? That's our series we're in right now, Questions Jesus Asked. And he had asked some very important questions, questions that we need to wrestle with, questions that we need to answer for our own lives. And, and most of these questions, no one can answer them for you. You have to respond to Jesus's questions. You have to respond to his words. Before we jump in our text, by the way, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 today. If you want to go, go ahead and start turning over there, Matthew chapter 5. Before we jump into the text, I just want to say a word about 100 points of light. As many of you know, and as many of you have participated, this past week we have really tried to make a concerted effort to be in the community, to do some neighboring. Many of you signed up this past week to be very intentional about greeting your neighbors, talking to your neighbors, blessing your neighbors in some way, praying for your neighbors, and I hope that you have done that and that you will continue to do that even, even after this week. Many of you signed up to pray and to be an encouragement, and so you've been praying every day and you've sent cards and texts and made phone calls and emails. Thank you so much. Please keep that up as well. Your prayers do mean so much to all of us, and so thank you so much for praying. We had another group that signed up to be a part of different activities in our community. And this past week, we had several that participated in Edmund Mobile Mills. We went downtown to their office there, you can see a picture, and we took over their routes Monday through Friday. We delivered 78 different routes throughout the week, and over, I think, something like 1,200 meals we helped deliver to most homebound, mostly homebound people in different places throughout the community. So we had lots of volunteers doing that and blessing people in that way. The uh, leaders of that organization were so thankful for our involvement and they even made the connection with our 100 year anniversary. You've been here 100 years, you're doing this as a, as a way to remind us and the community that we are here for the community and so that was a good, great connection that that those leaders made. And then yesterday we had people up here working on the building, getting it ready for our November 6th celebration. And we also had a group up here putting together goodie bags and encouragement packages to take over to the OU Edmond Hospital. So they put those bags together, nice little things and gifts in those bags. And then we went up to the hospital and actually got to deliver some of the bags to some nurses and some staff, maybe a doctor or two, and they were so thankful they were so thankful that we remembered them, that we reached out and said thank you to them. And I think one of them even posted, one of the ER nurses even posted on Facebook and 
tied it to our Facebook. I don't know how all that works, but <laughs> said something like, uh, you know, thank you so much for remembering us and for, for the goodie bags. And so that was, that was a great thing as well. You can see the group there. But it's not over. There's still time and there's still things to be done. Tonight at Sunday Night for the Master, we have several jobs, little jobs around the building to spruce it up, to get it ready for our November 6th celebration. So you can be a part of that. We also tonight have the group who signed up to take the uh, door hangings to our senior members. They can pick those up and they can make those deliveries tonight or later this week. And if you didn't sign up to do that, I, I, I think it's okay. I think they could probably use some more help if you want to. You can be a part of that tonight as well. So there's a lot going on, a lot of good things. God is at work among us. And yes, this past week has been a really concentrated, focused effort for us to be in the community. But it's really what we should be doing all the time anyway, right? We should be praying, we should be encouraging, we should be neighboring, we should be serving people in different ways. There's lots of opportunities. So maybe it just sort of reminded us all of why we're here, to be a blessing, to shine the light of the Lord in this community and throughout this world. Of course, we are getting ready for our centennial celebration. It's just two weeks away, November 6th. That's coming up really soon. And there's a lot going on that day. There's a schedule in the bulletin. I would encourage you to take a look at that. We are having a worker service for those who need it in the chapel at 8 a.m., a little bit different on the time, 8 a.m. And then we're inviting everyone to fellowship and breakfast over in the gym from 8.30 to 9.30. You don't all have to get there at 8.30. You can sort of stagger it out, but we will have some fellowship time over there. And then at 9.30, some, some very special Bible classes taught by former ministers here. There's also a campus ministry class in Reunion. Our uh, Spanish-speaking ministry has a special class planned as well. And then at 1040, a combined worship in here. It's going to be crowded, okay? So please be a gracious host that day. It's also OC's homecoming that weekend. And so it's, it's going to be crowded. There's a lot of people going to be here. And so just go out of your way to make space, to make room. If someone's sitting in your spot, it's okay, all right? We can forgive them for one day and we can go find another spot, all right? It'll be okay. We'll probably fill up all of these sections. And so we want to think about parking, where we park, and, and just making it easy on our guests and on people who are coming to be a part of that great celebration. And then later that day at 4.30, we're gonna go over to Angel Park. We're gonna have food trucks and we're gonna have a great celebration and a prayer of dedication over a, a very special project that you'll be hearing more about over there at Angel Park. It's going to be a wonderful day and it's going to be a, a time that God is going to continue to bless us and use us as a light in this community. I'm, I'm really excited about that. I hope you are as well. So we are in this series, Questions Jesus Asks. And as you think about questions, we all have to answer questions. If you take a test, you know that some questions are easier than other questions. When you're in conversation, you know that some questions are easier than other questions. Well, that is very evident in the little mixer, the little conversation game called Would You Rather. Some of you have played that, you're familiar with that. Basically, the idea of Would You Rather is you are confronted with a dilemma and it's put in the form of a question that begins with Would You Rather. And so you have a choice to make. You have two, usually two alternatives and you have to really think through what this might look like and which one you would prefer. For example, would you rather 
go into the past and meet your ancestors or go into the future and possibly meet your great-great-grandchildren. You have to decide which you would rather do. Here's another example. Would you rather always have to say everything that comes into your mind or, yeah, think about that, or never speak again? Tough choice, huh? Now, some of us wish we could answer that for other people, don't we? Can't do that. That's not the way the game is played. Would you rather have noisy neighbors or nosy neighbors? <laughs> you certainly don't want noisy, nosy neighbors. That's hard to say. And finally, one more example. Would you rather talk like Yoda or breathe like Darth Vader? <laughs> you got to choose. You have to choose. Now, of course, these are silly. They're hypothetical. But the purpose is to make you stop in your tracks and really think, really think through the implications, think through the alternatives. The question that we are looking at today from Jesus is not hypothetical, it's certainly not silly, but it does cause you to stop right in your tracks and think about the implications, to really look inward, to be introspective and say, okay, I need to wrestle with this because this question matters. It has eternal ramifications. It's such an important question. And it's a question that couldn't be more relevant than where we are in our world today. Doesn't it feel like we're just more divided these days? It feels like the extremes are just pulling farther and farther apart and taking people with them, doesn't it? So that we're finding less and less common ground. Jesus' question gets to the very heart of not only why that happens, but how we respond in a world that seems so divided. Jesus' question is encased in a larger teaching we call the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And in this teaching, Jesus is unveiling, he's unveiling the, the reality of God's kingdom in everyday life, in this world in which we have to live. So he is revealing the true nature of the kingdom. And as he reveals the true nature of the kingdom, it is very clear that God's kingdom stands in contrast to the ways of the world. God's kingdom is very much different than culture, than society. When society or our gut instinct or the world around us says, do this, the values of God's kingdom are so much different, they likely say do something different have a different mindset a different approach as Jesus teaches this sermon as he gives this sermon which by the way he probably spoke multiple times about these themes we have Luke's account of a very similar sermon but as he talked about these things basically what he's doing is for his listeners he's reordering their interpretation and application of the law of Moses and that's why he will say, you have heard that it was said, and he will quote part of the law. And then he'll say, but I tell you, and then he'll give the true heart behind the law. You see, he's reinterpreting, he's reapplying what they already know to be true, but they are misinterpreting or misapplying. And one of the ways he does this with this, you have heard that it was said, but I tell you, is this use of antitheses. You see, he's saying one thing and then 
and then casting it in a new light. And so our question for today is the sixth one of these, the sixth antithesis in a series of antitheses, if you will. You have heard that it was said, but I tell you something not different, but I tell you the true heart of what you know to be true, what you have heard. And so here it is, it begins in chapter 5, verse 43, he sets up the question this way, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now this idea of love your neighbor, that was very familiar to the Jewish people. It was an essential part of the law of Moses. Leviticus 19, 18, they knew these words, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people but love your neighbor as yourself, I am the Lord. And so they had heard, love your neighbor. And many, many years later, when Jesus was around and people came up to ask him, hey, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? What did Jesus say? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so yes, they were familiar with this idea. They knew they were supposed to love their neighbors. It was the law. But now look at the second part of what Jesus said in verse 43. This idea of hating your enemies. That cannot be found anywhere in the law of Moses. If they had heard it said, hate your enemies, it wasn't because God said it. It was because someone else said it. Maybe a Jewish rabbi, maybe it just became part of the teaching, maybe as they applied love your neighbor and they more narrowly and more narrowly define neighbor, then all of a sudden it morphed into, well, if we're loving our neighbor, we don't have to love our enemies. In fact, if we don't have to love our enemies, we can despise our enemies, we can hate our enemies. And so that phrase, hate your enemies, became part of the ethos of the Jewish culture. In fact, if you look at some of the writings during the around the first century time a little before into the first century you will see that it became a part of their code of living archaeologists have found in Qumran the caves where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls it wasn't just scripture they found there of course they found lots and lots of writings lots of scrolls and on one of those scrolls on one of those writings it was something that was called the rule of the community it was the way of life the values of this community, of this, of this uh, Jewish faction that was a little bit of a sect. And in this rule of the community, it said this, love all that God has chosen and hate all that he has rejected. And went on to say, love all the sons of light and hate all the sons of darkness. And so basically the way they lived was to take this idea of loving your neighbor and then making it their own so that they could love the people who were like them in their small marginalized faction the Jewish culture the Jewish people but then they could they could hate anyone else they could despise anyone else they could treat with contempt anyone who wasn't in their circle you see basically what happened is what happens today people feel empowered to draw lines to say you stay over there I'll stay over here And if you want to come over here, then I might consider accepting you or treating you well. But as long as you're over there, as long as you're different than I am, you think differently, you you live differently, you believe differently, then I can treat you with contempt. I'm justified in that. 
And many times we tend to do that today. Now, we don't necessarily use the word enemy, do we? I mean, when's the last time you, you really thought, well, that person is my arch enemy? <laughs> we, we don't really think in that term. But think about enemy as anyone, any one person, or even a group, an organization, a collection of people who you view as against you or against what you stand for. I think that begins to get at the heart of what Jesus is saying when he talks about enemies. And Jesus had a very specific thing to say, very specific words about how we view and treat our enemies, those who are different from us, those maybe who aren't like us and who don't like us. So we continue in our reading for today and we'll get to the question in just a moment. Verse 44, So remember he just said, verse 43, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Verse 44, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children, that's an important word, children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And now here's the question. Verse 46, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, he says, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So Jesus does a lot here. He challenges misguided love. More specifically, I think he rebukes toxic hostility. And many of his listeners, they had no problem with the part of the law that said, love your neighbor, as long as they could define neighbor. You see, they didn't struggle with Leviticus 19, verse 8, but they forgot to read just a few more verses down from there. If you keep reading in Leviticus 19, look at verse 33. Again, part of their law. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself. Does that sound familiar? Love your neighbor as yourself. For you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And so Jesus' audience there, as he's speaking to them, they seem to have selective hearing. Yes, we have heard and we abide by this idea of loving our neighbor. As a footnote, as long as we get to define who neighbor is. But this idea of hating our enemy, that doesn't come from God. In fact, just the opposite. The law also says you treat the enemy, you treat the stranger among you as one of you. Do you remember what he said? Native born as one of you. You don't shun them, you don't push them away, you don't despise them, you don't hate them, you include them, you embrace them. Which brings us to Jesus's big question. Here's the question. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? You see, it's one of those questions that causes you to stop and to really think about the implications of this question and of your response. If you love those who love you, what are you expecting in return? What is the big deal? So that forces us to think, okay, is that what I'm doing? Am I only loving those who are good to me? Am I only loving those who are like me? 
Am I only loving those who like me? How am I treating others? God's intention has always been for his people to treat others well. To treat others, even others who we view, who you view as different. Not as despised, not as outsiders, but as, remember his word here, native born. That's what he tells his people. So stop and think for a moment. Doesn't this challenge the world's approach to treating people? To how, how we typically treat people? The typical approach to how we treat people is, if you're good to me, I'll be good to you. If you say nice things about me, I'll try to think of something nice to say about you. If you do me no harm, I won't do you harm. But if you come after me, you better get ready because I'm coming after you. If you say things that hurt me, then I'm going to say things that hurt you. If you're with me, we're good. I'm with you. But if you're against me, no, I'm against you. You see, that's the world's mindset. And it makes so much sense. It is instinctive. It seems natural. It is self-protective. And Jesus challenges that with this one question. You see, the assumption is that loving people who love us is relatively easy. That's what Jesus is saying with this question. It's relatively easy. He says anyone can do that. Pagans do that. Most people do that. If someone says nice things about you, then yeah, it's more natural to say nice things about them. If they accept you, it's easier to accept them. In Luke's account of a very similar sermon that I mentioned earlier, we call it the Sermon on the Plain sometimes, I want you to notice some of the follow-up questions that Jesus asked here. Luke chapter 6, verse 32. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. You see what he says there? That's the easy path. Loving people you like and loving people who are like you, that's easy. But the easy way is not the way of Jesus. In fact, the entire Sermon on the Mount cuts against the grain of society. It cuts against the grain of culture. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that to follow him means going down the narrow path. It's narrow because people don't choose it, because it's difficult, it's demanding. The narrow way implies uncommon commitment and sacrifice. And that's why Jesus says in verse 48, be perfect just as your heavenly Father is perfect. That word perfect doesn't mean be without sin, that's impossible to do on your own apart from Jesus Christ. But that word means complete, be mature. And I think in this context, we could say it means be atypical, be exceptional, stand out from the culture, go down the narrow path that not many choose because the world says, we're going to take the easy way. If someone comes after me, we're going after them. And Jesus says, no, that's not the way of the kingdom. That's not the narrow path of discipleship. Jesus' question challenges our expectation that if we love those who love us, then we will be rewarded. We will be recognized. If we take the easy path, 
we think we deserve something special. I mean, that's almost like being on time at work every day. And when you show up and you're on time, you go right into your boss's office and you say, I was on time today. I should get a raise. And your boss is going to say, what do you mean? You're supposed to be on time. Everyone's supposed to be on time. That's the bare minimum of what you should do on this job. What do you mean you think you should get a raise? That makes no sense. And I think that's basically what Jesus is saying here is, you expect to be rewarded when you're just doing the bare minimum? When you're just doing what pagans do, what the world does? Jesus says to love your enemies, to pray for those who persecute you. These are not easy things to do. Am I right? Is it just me? I mean, these are not easy to do. When someone cuts me off in traffic, the first thing that comes to my mind is, how can I express love to that person? That's not the first thing that comes to my mind. Sometimes not the second or third thing, if I'm honest. When someone says hurtful things about me, I'm not thinking, well, I should probably say nice things about them. A part of me is thinking, I want them to feel what I feel. When someone chooses to live a life, and that life goes against the values that I hold dear, that person can be difficult to love. When someone sees the world differently, when someone disagrees on fundamental, foundational core values, that person can be difficult to embrace. This is not easy, but the way of Jesus is not easy. Jesus says, love your enemies, love your adversaries. Rather than drawing a line and pushing people away, remove the line and embrace people in the name of Christ and for the cause of Christ and, by the way, following the example of Christ. As we consider what Jesus says, I think it's so important for us to dig deeper and say, why is he saying this? What is behind this? What is, what is behind this question about how we view and treat other people? Why is Jesus asking us to take the difficult path? It would be so much easier just to take the easy route. Why, Jesus? Why is this so important? I, I think when you look at the story of Scripture, when you look at God's story revealed in Scripture, when you look at the arc of Scripture, I think some answers begin to emerge to the why question. I think the first one is this. Because God's kingdom is a kingdom of inclusion. It's all throughout Scripture. Now, that's not a popular thing to say in a world that likes to draw lines and blast the other side, but that is the way of God's kingdom. We already saw that God's intention for his people all along was to love their neighbor, which meant also to embrace and love the stranger among them. We are so often driven by emotion. We are so often reactive. We are so often operating out of fear and self-preservation and self-protection. And so we get our in-group and we turn away. We turn away from others or even worse, we turn against them rather than turning toward them. Think about Jesus's day. In Jesus's day, the Jewish people, they viewed Samaritans and Gentiles as outsiders. They were unclean sinners. 
they would even go out of their way to make sure they didn't walk by, travel by, someplace where they might be so they wouldn't rub shoulders with them. They were despised. But what did Jesus do? Jesus broke down barriers and he brought down walls. He reached out to Samaritans. He made time for Gentiles. He extended mercy to tax collectors and sinners and lepers and the marginalized. And he was often criticized for it. But see, he was representing his kingdom. And that's the nature of his kingdom. And when he was pushed on, okay, what exactly is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor, Jesus? What does that look like? Remember, he told this story, a famous story. Story of the good Samaritan. The most unlikely of neighbors for a Jewish person. That whole story was to illustrate not just that we should help each other, but it's how we view people who are different than us. Because that's the nature of his kingdom. And when we pray the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are praying for an inbreaking of the kingdom of God in this world. And I think in that prayer and in God's response to that prayer, he is inviting us into that, into that inbreaking of his kingdom to participate in that which means we as representatives and citizens of the kingdom of heaven, of God's kingdom, we live and we love like him. That's the nature of his kingdom. And to be inclusive means to extend love to people who live and look different than you or different than me, whatever the case may be. Excuse me, the second reason is this. Because I think when we love this way, when we love our enemies, we embody the gospel. We embody the good news of Jesus. Think about it. Phil led us in our communion thoughts a few moments ago, and he said it so well. What is, what is the, the, central, the central focal point of Jesus loving his enemies? It's the cross. It's the cross. You see, that's where Jesus showed the full expression of his love for his enemies. He loved and died for those who rejected him, who ridiculed him, who despised him, and ultimately who killed him. Paul reminds us in Romans 5, verse 8, that God demonstrates his own love in this. While we were sinners... Christ died for us. Do you understand the significance of that statement? When you were at your worst, that's when Jesus died for you. He didn't say, well, you know, if you just kind of clean yourself up, make yourself a little more presentable, then I might do something. You gotta gotta meet me halfway here. You gotta do something to show that you are worthy of me giving my life for you. He didn't do that. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. And when you show kindness and love to those who are on the other side of the lines that our world loves to draw, you embody the gospel, the good news. The good news of Jesus who died for us while we were sinners. He died for us, his enemies. 
And the third reason, why? Why does he ask us to take the difficult route of loving our enemies? I think because when we do that, we reflect the very heart of our Heavenly Father. Do you remember what he said in the text? You are children of God. Children who take after their Father. And when we love our adversaries, when we love our enemies, we show that we belong to God. We're in his family. We share the same values and we inherit this character. And that character is developed in us. This text keeps pointing us back to God. God who blesses, he gives blessing to the righteous and the unrighteous, to the just and the unjust. Remember what he said? His sun shines on all people. He sends rain for the just and the unjust. You know, it wasn't just the crops of the good people who got rain. It was everyone. God doesn't hold back his blessings based on our goodness. Do you remember how Jesus ends that part of his teaching? Remember he said, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Again, not perfect in the sense of you, you don't, you're sinless. Only Jesus can do that. But perfect in the sense of love with this, this perfect, complete kind of love. And so He says, do this as your heavenly father is perfect. God is the standard. He's the standard for this kind of perfect, complete love. And when we love that way, we give a glimpse to the world of our heavenly father. I like the word that that Luke records in the Sermon on the Plain that Jesus says back in Luke chapter 6. But love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be, what word does he use there? Merciful. He doesn't say perfect there, he says merciful. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. When you show mercy, when you extend grace, when you love those who are against you, you reflect the heart of God. You live and act as a child of God. And when you love this way, what does he say? Your reward will be great. You see, this isn't a hypothetical question. This isn't a would you rather that really doesn't matter. This is a real question. He says, your reward will be great when you love this way. It's a real question with real eternal ramifications. This past week, I was at a a ministry conference, and one of the presenters told an interesting story about something that happened at his church several years ago. Their church building was located right across the street from some low-income housing, an apartment complex. And one day, a, a young lady in that apartment complex who had lived a rough life, made some tough choices, she knew that she needed some change in her life. She needed a community of faith. She needed some support. So one Sunday morning... She gets up, she walks across the street, and she goes right into that church building, not knowing a person. She looked a little bit different than most of the people there. Her life was probably a little bit different than most of the people there. She walks in, and she didn't really know where to go. She finds the first room that she finds, that she sees. She walks into a Bible class. People are sitting around tables. She finds a chair around a table. She pulls out the chair. She sits down, and before anyone has a chance to say hi or meet her, She reaches into her shirt, 
She pulls out a pack of cigarettes. She tosses it on the table. She points to someone's Bible on the table and says, someone tell me what that book has to say about what I'm going through. Someone tell me what that book has to say about what I'm going through. Now, in that moment, the people around that table, the people in that room had a choice to make, didn't they? They had a choice to make. How do we respond? What do we do in that moment? What would you do? Would you just try to ignore her? Uh, uh, Let someone else take care of it? Would you get up and this is a good time? Oh, my coffee cup is empty. I better get another cup of coffee. Would you look down on her? Would you begin just launching into, you know, preaching and teaching and not even hearing what is going on in her life? I mean, remember her question, what does that book have to do with what I'm going through? Or would you ask her, hey, tell us, what are you going through? What's going on? What would your nonverbals be? Would your nonverbals be open and inviting or would they be closed and shunning? In that moment, what do you do? Now, I don't know if that will happen here, certainly could happen here, it certainly has happened here. That's just an example. The truth is, you have moments every day. I have moments every day. Moments where I have to make a decision. What am I going to do? How am I going to respond? It's easy when someone is kind to you, when they're nice to you, when they're for you, when they support you. But it's those moments when you are faced with that adversary, that enemy, that person who is just so different, that person who has hurt you in some way. Then what do you do? That's tough. The good thing is you don't have to do it alone. The Spirit of God lives in us, works through us, equips us, comforts us, leads us, guides us. You also have a community of faith, these people around you, to encourage you, to hold you accountable, to support you, to say with empathy, that's not easy. That's a difficult situation. I don't know what you should do, but let's Let's talk about it. Let's pray about it. Let's, let's take incremental steps toward loving our enemies rather than despising our enemies. Because when you make that choice, when you choose to love those you don't like and aren't like you, then you reveal the true nature of the kingdom of God. You embody the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and you give the world a glimpse of the heart of your heavenly father. So let me challenge you this week, challenge myself to love, not just when it's easy to love, but to love when it's tough, when it's difficult. And not just this week, but as we live daily as citizens of the kingdom of God. Yes, in this world, but this isn't our home. We are citizens of the kingdom of God, that we would live each and every day as loving people, If you need this community to walk alongside you and encourage you, please make that known. In just a moment, we're going to stand up. A couple of our shepherds and their wives will be in in the parlor. It's a room in this hallway behind me. You can exit out of these doors, go there. They will encourage you. They will love on you. They will pray for you. Or you can come down to the front and we'll do that as a church family. Certainly today might be the day that it all clicks for you and you say, 
It's time for me to be a Christian. It's time for me to surrender my life to the one who gave his life for me. Jesus is who he said he is. I believe that. I'm going to live to honor him. Confess your faith today. Be baptized into Christ and begin that walk with Jesus. If there's something we can do, we invite you to come as we stand and sing. Let's stand together. A common love for each other give to the Savior a common bond holding us to the Lord a common strength when we're weary a common hope for tomorrow a common joy in the truth of God's word. A common love for each other, common gift to the Savior, a common mark holding us to the Lord a common strength when we're weary a common hope for tomorrow a common joy in the truth of God's Let's bow. Dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for allowing us to gather here and to worship your name in a safe spot, as many around the world do not have. Lord, I pray that you allow us to take the message that we heard today about loving our enemies and be able to apply it. Lord, you've set the standard high. And I know that's very difficult for us to follow, but please give us the strength to go beyond and to 